0: that we would just continue to find strength in you and encouragement and and we would find comfort that comes from you. And Lord, I thank you for this body of believers that have come together. Lord, that we can um, be there when there is those sad moments and those sad times and times of loss and also in those times where we can rejoice and um, those very special times. And Lord, I pray that we would always be ones that we would remember as Paul the Apostle would remind us in the book of Philippians that we always have a reason to rejoice, and that is in our salvation, and that is in your goodness and your faithfulness. And I pray that tonight as we study your word that we would be reminded of those things once again. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to you as we study your word, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we've been looking at the book of Joshua, and we're actually going to finish it next week, so we're coming to uh, those last chapters of the book uh, The outline the book of Joshua as we saw in chapters 1 through 5, the children of Israel, after the death of Moses and being 40 years in the wilderness, they came into the land of promise. That is that land, the promised land, the, the land of Canaan, that God said, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. And it was a promise that he had given to Abraham clear back in Genesis chapter 12. And so he fulfilled that promise by bringing them back into the land after 400 years of being in Egypt and then 40 years of being out in the wilderness. So that was chapters 1 through 5, the coming into the land. And then in chapters 6 through 12, we saw the conquering of the land. That is, as the children of Israel defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai. We saw then the southern conquests and then the northern conquests as they were driving out the Canaanite kings and the inhabitants, and they began to take the land. And then in chapters 13 through 22, and we're going to uh, go through chapters 20 through 22 today, we see the dividing of the land. That is, that the Lord said to each of the 12 tribes of Israel, I'm going to give you an allotment, that is an inheritance, an area of land. And that's what we covered. And we had a map on uh, the 12 tribes and where they settled and the allotment and inheritance that was given to them. We looked at their territory and the borders, and we kind of looked at the summary of all of that over the last couple weeks. So the land has been divided up. And then in chapters 23 and 24 next week, what we're going to see is Joshua's farewell address to the nation as Joshua will then pass away. And after the generation, uh, uh, after the death of Joshua, that next generation, what we see is the days of the judges begin. In the book of Judges, will explain to us how the children of Israel would then forsake the Lord. They would begin to worship idols and the Canaanite uh, gods that were false, and they would find themselves in bondage and going through judgment and, and the consequences of that, just as God said would happen before they came into the promised land, that if you follow after me, Uh, That if you keep my commandments and you love me, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to keep you from your enemies. But if you forsake me and go after those false gods, what's going to happen? is that you're going to find yourself in captivity. And so that's the days of the judges that would last for about 350 years in their history. From the time, again, from that generation, right after Joshua, clear up into the time of Samuel, he is the last of the judges that we see in the book of 1 Samuel. And so for all those years, they would go through this cycle that we will see in the book of Judges, doing what was right in their own eyes. That's the theme of the book of Judges, but we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Tonight what we're going to cover is we're going to see the rest of the dividing up the land and we're going to see some of the, um, the finishing uh, details that are given to us concerning chapter 20 the cities of refuge we've looked at that already and then chapters 21 the cities of the Levites so let's look at chapter 20 the Lord spoke to Joshua saying speak to the children of Israel saying appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood, verse 5, pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come into his own city, in his own house, to the city from which he fled. Verse seven. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, and Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim. Kertjaf-Arba, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah. And then on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bazar of the wilderness on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead, from the tribe of Gad and Golan, and Bashan, and the tribe of Manasseh. And these were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there, and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation so we've already looked at the cities of refuge in numbers chapter 35 and then in deuteronomy chapter 19 and what these cities were there were three cities as we've just read on the east side of the Jordan River that's where the tribe of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh were settled There's three cities on the west side of the Jordan River where the remaining nine and a half tribes are. So 12 tribes in all, the 12 tribes of Israel. We saw their inheritance. We saw where they have settled. And so these cities are refuge. The purpose of them, as we already know in in a quick review, is that if you were out working in the field, for example... And, and you have a pick, and you're, you're, or you're up in the woods, and you're cutting trees down, and all of a sudden, the axe head came off the handle and struck that person that you're working with and killed them accidentally, then you had a place to go where you would be safe. you got to remember, back in these ancient times, they didn't have investigations, police you know, departments, uh, district attorneys, and all of that. Usually, if something happened, and particularly if there wasn't any witness in it, uh, what would happen is, is that you, if you wanted to bring a case before the judges, that you would have to bring that person in. Well, here is somebody that accidentally, that somebody ends up getting killed by an accident. He didn't intentionally mean for it to happen. He could go to the city of refuge, and there he could give his case to the elders of the city. They would bring him in if they found that it wasn't intentional, it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't out of anger, but it was an accident. And there he would be safe in that city of refuge. The Lord had strategically placed those cities of refuge to where it was no more than a day's walk for somebody to go there. And so that person in that city of refuge had to stay in that city. There was a place that was given to him. He could dwell in that city. He was safe from the avenger of blood. That is perhaps the nearest akin that would say, you know what, my relative got killed. Uh, whoever it might be, and I'm going to avenge their blood. I'm going to go after that person, and I'm going to deal with it myself. And so they were safe from the avenger of blood. And they had to stay in that city. If they went outside the city, then they weren't safe. But they had to stay in the city until the death of the high priest. And so that's the regulations that were given to them. And, of course, as we look at it today, we know that Jesus, he's our refuge, isn't he? He's that one that brings us safety, and he brings refuge to us as we go to him. Now, for us, there in the text here, of course, they had to be found innocent. uh, And you and I, we've been found guilty, haven't we? We've been found guilty, but Jesus took the punishment for you and for me. And now we enter into his presence and into his salvation, and to his forgiveness. And he is our refuge. But here's the thing for us to remember. Stay with him. Stay close to him. Continue to abide with him. And as you do, you're going to be safe. And one of the things that we're going to see here tonight is that the children of Israel are now in a point in their history that after 400 years of being in bondage in Egypt, 40 years of in the wilderness because of their disobedience, that's how long they had to be there, Now they've come into the land. God has fulfilled his word to them, and they're finding rest. And the theme I think that we're going to see tonight in these three chapters that we're going to cover is rest. That the Lord desires for us to have rest. And number one, how do we have rest? Is we go to him first of all because he is our refuge. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that took the punishment for you and I. And so he died for our sins. And so now we have a place of refuge and safety in Christ Jesus for eternal life, and even for this life, that we have rest in Him. And so we're going to see these principles of rest as we continue on. So the Lord is our refuge. And as you go through the book of Psalms, you, you read all the time how David would pray and write uh, in, the, in the Psalms. And I love reading the Psalms because, uh, and particularly the ones, and they're all a blessing, but David, he was so articulate, wasn't he? And he was able to express his feelings and, and um, express the difficulties that he went through, but he had always turned to the Lord, and, and he would write over and over again about how the Lord, you're my strength, you're my refuge, you're, you're, you're my comfort. Lord, you're my guidance, you're my wisdom. Lord, you're my salvation, you're everything that I need, Lord. And so he truly is our refuge. And so chapter 21, now we see the cities of the Levites. And so then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And he spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Verse 4, Now the lot came out for the families of the Kohites, and the children of Aaron, the priests who were the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Simeon from the tribe of Benjamin. And so chapter 21, also we have seen um, in the book of Deuteronomy that the Lord said, when you go into the promised land, that first of all, that the Levites aren't going to have an inheritance. So the Levites weren't given a section of land like we saw on the map. The other 12 tribes were. Now, I know that you know this, but a quick review that when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, there really were 13 tribes because the tribe of Joseph included Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. So when you count them up, you can count them up and say, well, there's 13. So the 12 tribes, including the sons of Joseph that we saw, they had a section of land that was given to them. The Levites were what? They were the priestly tribe, weren't they? And so as we saw in the book of Leviticus, it was... Moses and Aaron they were from the tribe of Levi and it was the Lord that ordained that Aaron and his sons are going to be the priests and we saw in the book of Leviticus the responsibilities of the priests, didn't we and they were to what offer up sacrifices there at the tabernacle they went into the tabernacle they had responsibilities there and taking care of the menorah uh, to exchange the bread um, at the shoebread table to burn incense. And then the high priest is the only one to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. So we've seen their responsibilities given to them in the Book of Leviticus. And so the priests, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. Because there was different families of the Levites. So the direct descendants of Aaron were the priests and then there were three main families Of the Levites that we continue to read to to review those families. First of all, the Kohathites, or the Kohathites, is um, the first family. Their responsibilities in verse four they're mentioned here. um, Their responsibilities were to after the priests went into the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was uh, a movable structure. They would break it all down and, and broke camp when they moved in the wilderness. And then the priests went in, um, and they would cover up the furniture, up the Ark of the Covenant, shoebread table, things like that. And then the Levites would go in and carry the furnishings. The Levites assisted the priests in the tabernacle and temple ministry. They did not do the ministry of the priests. Okay? They assisted them. And so they had certain responsibilities. The Kohathites, what you are to do is carry the furnishings. Furnishings, And then in verse 5, the rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot in the families of the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then the children of Gershon, that's the second family, had 13 cities by lot in the families of the tribe of Issachar, the tribe of Asher, and the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. And in verse 7, the, the children of Merai, that's the third family, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulon. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common land uh, uh, by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And so they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon. These cities were were designated by name. So what we see here is this: is that we see that the three families, Kohathites, they received twenty-three cities. And these twenty-three cities, there was nine of them located. in in the tribe of uh, Judah and Simeon. Four cities in the tribe of Benjamin, 10 cities up north, 23 cities in all. And those cities are going to be listed in verses 9 through um, uh, verse 26. And uh, we read in verse 9, So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah, from the tribe of the children of Simeon, these cities, which are designated by name, which are for the children of Aaron, one of the families of Kohites, who were the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave to them Kerjaph Arba. Arba was the father of Anak, which is Hebron in the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it. So Hebron was one of those cities. Now, I'm not going to read all these cities to you, okay? You can read it before you go to bed tonight. All these cities, and look at all these cities. But 23 cities, all listed there, um, and where they were located, up to Verse 26. And then in verses 27 through verse 33, we go to verse 27, also the children of Gershon. Now the Gershonites, they took care of the curtains and the screens and the doors of the tabernacle when they broke them down. Now here's the interesting thing. They're at Shiloh right now. Remember we read that at verse 1. They're at Shiloh and that tabernacle, now that they come into the land, is going to be there at Shiloh for about 300 years or 350 years. So it's going to be there for a long, long time. So I'm wondering, what did the Gershonites and Maronites do? They're supposed to take care of the curtains and the boards and all that? I'm not really sure. Kind of something I'd like to look into and, and was wondering as I was thinking about this. But here they were to take care of that. And as you read in verses 27 through 33, let's read verse 27. Also to the children of Gershon, the family of Levites from the other half-tribe of Manasseh, they gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, and a city of refuge for the slayer, and those cities are listed. And so they have 13 cities, mostly up in the northern part of, of, of Israel where they are located. And then in verse 34 through verse 40 is the third family, the families of the children of Mariah to the rest of the Levites from the tribe of Zebulon, and those cities are listed there with their common lands, and there are 12 cities listed in totality. So those are the cities that are listed there. Again, I'm not going to read all the cities. When you read about their common lands, we saw in the book of Deuteronomy um, that the common lands were a mile outside of the city, was given to the Levites. And you recall that God said that you're um, not going to receive an inheritance of land. I will be your inheritance. And you're going to have forty-eight cities given to you. So um, there's twenty-three cities of the of the Kohites. Um, there is thirteen cities that are Gershonites, twelve cities of the Maronites, 23, 13, 12 should add up to 48, right? So 48 cities, okay? So they're spread all throughout the land of Israel here. And common lands, they had a mile outside of the city where they could graze their goats and milk cows and things like that. But they didn't have vineyards, they didn't have sheep. The way that they were provided for the Levites was the first fruits, remember, that was given as the people came into the land. The way that they tithe is they gave the sacrifices, they gave the first fruits, and that provided for the priests and for the Levites as well. So we've gone over all of that, and uh, the cities are listed here. And then in verse 41, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities in their common lands. And every one of these cities had his common land surrounding it, thus were all these cities. And so the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. I love these last three verses that are in chapter 21 here. God fulfilled his promise. He was faithful to do what it was that he told him that he was going to do. He said, I'm going to give you the land, and where your foot treads, I'm going to give you that possession, and I'm going to drive out the inhabitants. And we saw that when they were conquering the land, they they were facing overwhelming odds. They were facing the enemy that had horses and chariots and, and all of this, and yet God was the one that would drive them out and give them victory and so not a word had failed and as i read about that how now there is rest in the land that how is it that you and i can have rest that first of all we go to the lord and know that he's our refuge that he's our safety that he's our salvation second of all that as we realize that your word is true lord that, that you are faithful to bring your word to come to pass in my life. That what you say in this book, I can stand on the promises. And I know that your word is true and you're going to fulfill your word. And that brings me great comfort, doesn't it? And I hope that it brings you comfort as well. Because I know, Lord, that you're going to be faithful in bringing your promises to pass. And when you say that those who are in Christ Jesus have forgiveness, I know that I have forgiveness. When those who are in Christ Jesus believes in Him and what He has done for us and He rose from the grave, that I have salvation. And so when we see those who are believers pass on, we can rejoice, can't we? We can rejoice in the fact that they've gone home to be with the Lord, such as what we have done with those that that we have been praying for their families and as for my own father, knowing that, you know what, I know that your word is true. And we can rest in the fact that dad is with the Lord. We know that, that um, Mike's mom, who was a strong believer, is with the Lord. And others who are believers that have gone on, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so your word is true. So the Lord wants to bring us not only to the point of trusting in him, but to that point of rest. What is that rest? That rest is just having a sense of confidence and, and peace and joy in the Lord. And just having confidence in the Lord that you're going to see me through and you're going to work in my life and you're going to do what's best for me. And how's that done? By just staying close to the Lord. You're my refuge. And Lord, also, I'm going to trust in your word that your word is true for me in my life. And then we're going to see a third thing that will bring rest to us. Now, the reason I'm bringing this point out is because people will say, what is rest and how do I have rest? I don't think that there isn't anyone that's in this room that wants to you know, doesn't want to have rest in their life. You want to have rest in your soul, don't you? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and heavy laden, and I will, what, give you rest. So our refuge, we go to him. We trust in what he says. He says, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So we learn of him, his promises. We stand on his promises and stuff. So we're going to see a third principle of rest, just being in confidence, and at peace with the lord having that joy um, unspeakable in our hearts confidence in the lord just i think every single one of us was to not only trust in the lord but ah, just that rest in the lord right the lord you're so good and you're so faithful he's our refuge we believe in his promises chapter 22 then joshua called the reubenites and the gadites and the half tribe of manasseh and said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And I have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. And you have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land in your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you on the other side of the Jordan. And so what happens here is you recall that in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses brought the children of Israel towards, it was the end of that 40-year exodus, he brought them up there on the east side of the Jordan River. And they're in the plains of of Ammon, and um, they defeat King Og and Shihon, you recall. And so it was the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, half of the tribe of Manasseh that came to Moses and said, we like it over here, we want this for our inheritance, for our allotment and at first Moses was concerned but the Lord said Moses they can have that as an allotment as an inheritance and we've seen they've taken that as an inheritance but this is what they are to do when you take the other you know nine and a half tribes over their men their fighting men are to go with you and they are to go with you to help conquer the land that I've given to them so their their brethren don't lose heart and so that's what they did the tribe of Gab, the tribe of Reuben, half of the tribe of Manasseh, those men went in to help conquer the land of Canaan. Now that it's been conquered, what Joshua is saying is, well done. You kept, you know, the word of the Lord. You, you kept your promise. And now it's time for you to go back home and take your inheritance. And so he said in verse 4 that now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren. So how is it that we have rest in our lives? Jesus is our refuge. We go to him. Second of all, we stand on his promises and his word given to us. And then thirdly, we keep his commandments. In other words, you walk with him. You walk in obedience. And there is blessing in walking with the Lord and living for him and keeping his commandments. And that's one of the things that we have seen so clear, particularly as we're going through the Old Testament, that there is blessing in staying close to the Lord and living for the Lord and keeping his word and walking in his ways and then there's going to be rest so there's rest in coming to the lord there's rest in trusting in the word of the lord and then there's rest that comes as you are walking with the lord those three things are going to give you rest in your life and so that's what we see in these chapters here and so verse five but take careful heed to do the commandment of the law which moses the servant of the lord commanded you to love the lord your god to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. And so they go back, they're heading back over to the east side of the Jordan River, back to their homes, back to their inheritance. They've done what they were supposed to do, so Joshua blesses them, and He says to them, first of all, there in verse 5, that you love the Lord, second of all, walk in the ways of the Lord. Thirdly, then serve the Lord. Folks, it's got to be in that order. You can't do it backwards. I see too many Christians that try to do it backwards. What I mean by that, they think okay, if I serve the Lord, then maybe that'll bring me closer to the Lord and I'll be more devoted to the Lord. What you need to do is, is love the Lord. And we saw this pattern in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord said, Love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then keep my commandments, and then serve me. As you love the Lord, then you're going to walk with the Lord. You're going to want to live a life that's pleasing to him, aren't you? Yes, we are. And so what I say is, and what we see in the scriptures is, Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just love the Lord. And as you love the Lord, you're going to want to walk with him. You're going to want to keep his ways. You're going to want to keep his commandments. That's going to be a result of loving him because what's in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And so I say love him is what we see in the scriptures. And as you do that, you're going to want to keep his ways. It's like I love Sue. We've been married 20 years now. And I love her and I want to be faithful to her. I want to to be close to her. I, I want to see her, you know, every day because of my love for her. So you love the Lord, you'll keep His ways, and then you'll want to serve the Lord, right? Because, Lord, I love you, and, Lord, I just want to please you with my life. So that's the order it has to be. But if you do it the other way, it's not going to work. It won't work, folks. If you try to muster up, if I just serve and sweat and all of this and strive and serve in the Lord, then maybe I'll love the Lord more. Maybe I'll walk closer to Him. Uh Uh-uh. You love Him first, that will result in just, you know, walking faithfully with Him because it's being that love worked out in your life. And then you're going to want to serve the Lord. And whatever He's called you to do, an opportunity that He's given you to do that. So a very important pattern that we see here in verse 7 now, to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but the other half of Joshua gave a possession possession among the brethren on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, very much livestock with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed, From the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, in which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So go back, take the blessings with you. And here's the thing, there is blessing when we walk with the Lord, when we love the Lord, when we serve the Lord. There is blessing in that. And there may be blessing and material things. I mean, every good gift comes from above, doesn't it? So anything that we have comes from the Lord, and we're thankful for that. But primarily, there's spiritual blessing that the Lord gives to us as we walk with him and love him, as we just serve him. There is blessing in that, and that's what they've experienced. And so verse 10, And when they had come to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. So what's all this about? All of a sudden, they're going to go back on the east side. They build this altar there. And notice here in verse 11, someone says. Isn't it interesting what happens when someone says something? And all of a sudden information and it goes out. And someone says they built this altar. Now apparently what it was being said is is that they built this altar for idol worship or they have built this altar to sacrifice to. Now we know that when they went into the promised land, the Lord said, listen, there's going to be a prescribed place where you're going to do the sacrifices. Don't be like the Canaanites in their false worship that did sacrifices everywhere. And right now it's at Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle is. Later on, it's going to be at Jerusalem when the temple is built. So they're thinking that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Nassau are rebelling, that they're involved in false worship and idol worship, and so that's why they gather to go to war, because someone says. Now that's how rumors and slander and all that get started. It does it at work. It can do it within families. It can do it in the church, and we need to be careful about that. The gossip and all that that goes on because someone says. And so now we see they gathered and they're going to go to war. And so verse 13, the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler, each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel, each one of the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And they came to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, that you have built for yourself an altar, that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us and, um, and for us from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? Verse 18, But that you, sh- you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And shall it be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel? Nevertheless, in the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, by building yourselves an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. And did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed things, and wrath fell on the congregation of Israel, that the man did not perish alone in his iniquity. In other words, the, the ten leaders of uh, the tribes on the west side of, the, of the Jordan River, and Penaeus, the high priest, they go and they talk to the leaders. They're over there on the east side, and they said, what is this altar that you've built there at the Jordan on the west side of the river? Why are you rebelling against the Lord? Are you sacrificing? Are you, are you into idol worship? And they said no. And, and, and so here are those guys going to them, trying to figure out what's going on, And they said, don't you remember what happened with Phineas, number chapter 25? Phineas, or uh, not Phineas, um, Peor. The iniquity of Peor is what happened there when they committed idolatry, the children of Israel, and the plague came through. In other words, if I don't mix this all up, okay. What the leaders are saying to those who they thought were rebelling is, listen, it affects all of us if you're doing this. Remember what happened at Peor. A plague went through because of idol worship. Some people got involved in immorality. Remember Achan. Remember Achan? He took the, some of the accursed things from Jericho, and next thing you know, there was defeat at Ai, and it affected the whole congregation. So that's why they're concerned about if those two and a half tribes are rebelling, because it affects all of us here, and that's why we're willing to go to war. So they're trying to figure out what's going on here, so they get an answer. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and lets Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion, or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or to offer uh, burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it in fear for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You, children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare and build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and our sacrifices and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be, when they say this to our to us, to our generation in time to come, that we may say, here is a replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but is a witness between you and us. In verse 29, and far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, for sacrifice, sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord God, which is before his tabernacle. We're not rebelling, is what they said. We're not rebelling against the Lord. We made this altar because what we want to do is we want to show that we're linked to you, that we're brothers, that in generations to come, the Jordan River is dividing land, and I don't want that those tribes. They didn't want the other nine and a half tribes to forget about them, and then you're not a part of us, and now you can't come over and sacrifice at the prescribed place. And, and so it was a place, this, this, this replica, this altar that they sent up, it, it was a special uh, symbol of, that they were brothers on the east side and west side of the Jordan River. That was the only reason why they put it up. So it was symbolic, that we're linked to one another. And when generation after generation happens, we don't want you guys to forget about us here on the east side of the Jordan River. So it was kind of like, oops kind of misunderstanding that was going on here. They had the right information, but the wrong implication. And that can happen. And that's why the New Testament gives us guidelines about addressing certain situations and going to a brother and and talking with him and communicating with him and and confronting and correcting and all of this. And, And that needs to be important because there can be a lot of information that flies around in wrong implications. And that's why we need to go to the horse's mouth when we hear something. Um, we go to that person, we go to that brother, we go to that sister, that family member, that coworker. whatever it might be, and we say, hey, you know, uh, this is what I understand. I want to come to you, and you do it out of gentleness, and you do it out of integrity, and you do it out of honesty to try to clear things up or get the right information and implication of what's going on. So you've got to give these guys credit for going over there and getting this manner straightened out. And so verse 30, Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words of the children of Reuben, children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, spoke it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because we have not committed this treachery against the Lord, Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So this thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us. That the Lord is God. And you wish you could say they lived happily ever after. But they did not. And we will see why in the following chapter. So Father, we thank you.